Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Mike Ingersoll. It is the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. We've got Mike Ingersoll and Greg together here recording on a Tuesday night because a young lady named Florence is totally messed up game week for North Carolina. Normally, Greg, Jason, and I do this podcast on Thursday, and Mike and Ross or Mike and Buck and I are doing it here on Tuesday night, but Different trio, same great Inside Carolina podcast. Going to start with Mike first, since we hadn't had him on since the East Carolina show. Mike. Debacle. Um, <laughs> yeah, that too. Mike, just speak to your thoughts briefly during that game. I mean, Greg and I have talked about it. Uh, certainly did a podcast with Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. Let my feelings be known, as did they. But your thoughts just briefly on what you thought about uh, the program that you played for as you watched that game play out? Well, well, first thing I'll say is um, I did a plug last week, and uh, I said I'd do a plug this week. We were originally going to have – so there's any for any Letterman listening, we have a, a Letterman's tailgate that Garrett Reynolds puts on, and I'm helping him put it on this year. Um, we're trying to make a tradition out of it. This was supposed to be the second year of it. We were going to continue to have it this weekend regardless, uh, rain or shine, but since they canceled the game, um, and they essentially evacuated campus uh, by canceling classes and whatnot. Um, that, so I'll let everyone know that uh, tailgate has been canceled for this weekend. We're not going up there, but we are trying to reschedule for uh, for one of the November games. Um, most likely, it will not be the NC State game since that's hovering around Thanksgiving. But we'll keep you posted on that. So just if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, whatever, um, I'll be posting periodic updates on that, and Garrett will be sending out emails. So be be on the lookout for that. Um, as for your question, Tommy, um, it's, I'm glad you posed it the way you did, you know, with it being the, you know, the program that I played for one of the comments that I got from, um, one of my former teammates as we were talking about it, um, um, an 09, 09 graduate, um, the way he put it was, this is not good for the program. Uh, and then he followed it up with, I think the program's in trouble. The, that's the that's kind of the vibe that at least my generation of um, player alumni are giving off right now. And it's, 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 it's a legitimate worry. Um, you know, this isn't, I'm not one to to hit the crisis button too frequently, but you know, this is three and nine last year, which we chalked up to a fluke. It was, you know, we, we had the excuse of injuries and whatnot. Um, but I think, you know, and then coming out of the NCAA, nightmare um we had that excuse for for three and nine i don't know that we have that excuse anymore um yeah we've got some suspensions to some important players but they're they're all players who are replaceable um they all had capable backups they all had people that were uh apt to take that to take those reps and and to take those starts and and theoretically should have been just fine um what it illuminates is an issue with player development uh, and that's what I've continued to see, unfortunately. Um, and I've been trying to bite my tongue on it for a number of years now. Um, but you know, we are locked into a situation with, you know, Fedor has a $14 million buyout and I like Larry, I like him as a person and I like his, I like his offensive philosophy. Um, 
I, li- I like the way he interacts with his players. I like the way he interacts with the alumni even better. Um, he's been great as far as we're concerned. But at some point, you know, you have to give it – got to take the subjective interpretations and the subjective feelings out of it. Um, and you have to look at it a, a little objectively. And objectively, there's an issue with player development. Um, there's obviously an issue with recruiting. Um, there was a little, there, there was, there was much ado about the 2015 season and going to the ACC championship game and all that. Um, it needs to be tempered a little bit with just like, you know, any economic, uh, early term economic boom or economic recession is, isn't necessarily attributable to the guy who's in office currently. It's maybe more attributable to the person who came before them. Uh, the 2015 team was led by Bush Davis recruits. Um, so guys that were recruited by the last regime. Now, most of them, um, none, of, none of them were coached by that, by that regime, but they were recruited for the positions they were playing by that staff. Uh, that talent was identified and those commitments stayed with the team and obviously ended up enrolling here. Um, that was the last gasp of that coaching staff and that era. Um, and it, it went out with a bang. I mean, they, they, there was a core nucleus of guys that ended up taking us at an AC championship game. And that got this staff, got the head coach and it got this staff an extension that now has us in a position with a buyout that we, that's somewhat untenable. Um, so there's, there was much ado about that back then. And I think where we are now is things have come to light since the program is now 100,000% entirely fedoras. Um, there's a recruiting deficiency and there's a player development deficiency and it's catching up with us. And that is hard to stomach. It's certainly hard to watch. Um, and it's, it's, it's much more, um, it's much more difficult to be optimistic. Your team suffered some bad losses when you were there, but. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah. At, at, how do you think, uh, what, what do you think is going on inside that locker room at this point in the season? I mean, we're two games into the 2018 season. Uh, you've been in football locker rooms of plenty. Describe that way you expect it is or the way you might imagine it is after a game like that and pushing forward. And, you know, with the UCF game being canceled, um, I I think that's a pretty good outcome for that game for North Carolina, especially coming off that East Carolina game, it being canceled and giving them another week to prepare for the ACC opener. Yeah, well, UCF was averaging 47 points a game, and I don't, I don't think that was going to stop against us. Um, and we certainly haven't been averaging nearly that through our first two games. So, you know, it was a little bit of a blessing. It allows them to kind of catch their breath and, and get over the shock of what happened at ECU. Um, I don't think any of the players felt unprepared going into the ECU game. Um, I don't think they felt like – I don't think they felt unprepared going into the Cal game. And – I certainly believe that the players that this staff had or has um, that were capable enough to play the positions they were playing and to play in the moments that they were in, whether that be a starting role, whether it be a backup role, special teams, what have you, they were put in a position to be successful um, and they were the best guy for the job. Otherwise they wouldn't have been on the field. You have to believe that. Now that's, that that bothers you somewhat because of the ob- the obvious end result and the um and the struggles that we had and I think that stuff ends up trickling down to the players. Um, again, they they no player went into either of those games feeling unprepared or like they didn't have a shot at winning the game. I think ECU was all but a foregone conclusion in the minds of I think all of the fans um, and 
I would hope all of the players. Uh, I I was a little skeptical just because going into Greenville, you know, that's two out of the last three times, or at least that's the last that's the last three times we've gone into Greenville, we've lost that game, um, and we've lost it bad. Uh, you know, that in 2007 it was the you know Hakeem's fumble going in for the go ahead touchdown or on the go ahead touchdown drive. Um, that ended that's game was over at that point. Obviously, there was a 70-point um, show that ECU put on a few years ago, and then there was this 41-19 loss to what is, by all accounts, a really, really bad football team. Um, so that that is affecting guys emotionally. It's affecting guys mentally. It's affecting the morale in the locker room because now everyone's sort of – and I promise you they're doing this. I mean, guys will tell you they're not, and fans might get mad at me for saying this, but guys are sitting around there questioning the team's ability. They're questioning their own abilities. Uh, the film study, I promise, was not pretty – um, guys are getting chewed out and there's a lot of existential crises happening right now in that locker room and in that building. And it is all hands on deck, but the good news about having or UCF canceled is that they can sort of reset, gather themselves, catch their breath, their collective breath, and sort of get over the shock of what has just happened in the first two weeks um, for a season that had some, you know, I, I would, I would say reasonable expectations for success. Um, whether that be a six game win, an eight, an eight win season, what have you. Um, I think those expectations were reasonable. You know, now there's kind of a, an underlying despair, if you will. Um, I know a lot of people projecting, you know, I, they don't, they look at the schedule and don't know if we can go any better than one and 11 or two. And, um, it would obviously be one and 10 or two and nine at this point, but I don't know. I, it's as, as a player, I'd be pretty downtrodden. And I don't really know how else to describe it, um, but there's definitely a there's definitely a sullenness that's going to be over that building until they get this this wind monkey off their back. So that's again, it's 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 difficult to answer the question with as many emotions as I'm feeling being an alumni, um, being a former player, and uh, feeling the frustration that I feel and that the alumni and the lettermen that have come before me and with me feel. So. Um, yeah, I, I apologize for rambling. It's me trying to catch, trying to catch my own breath with this. Before Greg sneaks in and asks you your next question, Mike, let me uh, tell a little bit about Jersey Mike's. Do you need a quick and easy lunch or a tailgate option for football season? Jersey Mike's Subs of Chapel Hill is your place to go for tasty and efficient dining solution. Our guys at Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill have partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal for IC podcast listeners. Right now, use this code HEELS15 to get 15% off your order. This is an online promotion only. You can use it for lunch, for your small group, or for a big tailgate order. Here's how it works. Go to jerseymikes.com front slash order. It'll show the locations nearest you. Click order. Pick your favorite sub at checkout. Enter HEELS15. Get 15% off that order. Skip the line. Head straight to the register. Grab your food and you're on your way. Do it today. Place an online order at one of the four Chapel Hill and Hillsborough locations. Super easy. Remember, jerseymikes.com front slash order, code HEELS15. There are three locations in Chapel Hill. On Elliott Road, off MLK, right off 40, and at Falcon Bridge Shopping Center on 54, right off I-40. The one in Hillsborough is right off exit 261 on I-40. All perfect coming into Chapel Hill for North Carolina football. And look for Jersey Mike's inside Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys this fall. 
and coming soon, two new locations opening near Briar Chapel in Chatham County and off 15501 on the way to Durham. There's no denying that Jersey Mike subs are delicious, so take advantage of this deal and support the Inside Carolina podcast. And now I'm hungry, so Greg, take it away. Mike, you've got experience with you know, a, a team and a season that's under scrutiny from the outside with 2010. And yep. I've always contended that was that was probably the the best coaching display that that I've I've seen, or at least that I've covered in I terms of the that. coaching staff being able to kind of keep that group together. But yeah. it also it also just in talking with you guys during that year it seemed like the the core leadership really did a good job of insulating maybe some of the younger guys. I mean, yes. we're talking about Daniel Searcy, you, Deontay Williams, TJ Yates. I mean, the list goes on and on, and the seniors on that, that squad. How big of a role does that play right now? Because you know, in talking with the players after the ECU game, a lot of the questions are about you know, the job status of Larry Fedora and the state of this program. And as Cole Holcomb told me, he said, you, know, you guys, you guys being the media, don't make this any easier. Uh, and so that's going to be the case. I think that's one of the good things about the UCF game being canceled is now they've pretty much got a week off away from us. You know, all media availability this week was, was canceled. So we don't actually talk to the players again until next Tuesday. And so they get to kind of rejuvenate and refresh and, and not have to worry about that, that, that constant criticism. Uh, but, but what has to take place for these guys to be able to deal with that moving forward, not let a lot of the speculation about you know, whether or not Larry Fedora is going to remain through the season or into next year. What What's the key to keeping everybody tight and being able to play to their best of ability, which you know, once you get some of these suspensions taken care of, now you maybe got some depth and some talent where you can actually win some of these games. Greg, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question when you did. Um, you know, we're addressing it now, especially after my essentially doom and gloom rant that I just gave earlier, two of them really, um, because there is, there, there is something that, that is sort of positive coming out of this. And it's, we now have an opportunity, or I should say not, not we, that team has an opportunity to show kind of what it's made of. And you used a good example, the 2010 season, and I'll, I'll address that, but that that has slightly different circumstances than another season I was a part of, which was the 2006 season, which is a lot like what these guys are going through right now. Um, and if anyone remembers, that's that, that was Coach Bunning's last season. Coach Bunning was the coach that brought me in. Um, that was my redshirt year um, when I first came in out of high school. So we had a uh, – in 2006, we weren't very good. Um, we had talent in certain positions, but there was a – talent development deficiency um, and there was a disconnect between the coaching staff and the players. And, and I contend to this day, I don't know why that was. Um, I thought coach Bunning was a, he's a wonderful man. He loved the school and still does um, up and down. And he's a terrific ambassador for Carolina football and for the university generally. Um, but there was a disconnect between the locker room and the coaching staff. And there was dissension amongst the ranks within the coaching staff itself. And the players saw that and it was cancerous. Um, I don't know or think that there's any of that going on with Fedora's staff, but there was a trickle-down effect from the negativity that we were getting from the fourth floor, which is where the, the coaches' offices are. Um, the negativity trickling down from the fourth floor uh, ended up pooling in the locker room down on the first floor, and it affected us. And we, we saw it. We breathed it in every day. We walked around through it, and it was, it, it was, it was, it was devastating to, 
that team's ability to have any success that year. Um, and we had senior leaders that did the absolute best they could. I'm thinking, you know, uh, Brian Chacos, um, you know, guys, guys like that. We had, we had Joe Daly obviously was here for a few more years, but Joe was really an old soul. And, um, you know, he, he took on that leadership role, Malik Brown, um, some of those guys, they, they did the best job they could, but there was so much negativity in the building that there was really nothing they could do in terms of insulation, which is a term that you used to describe the 2010 season. Now, how that season compares to 2010 um, in terms of leadership and being able to insulate the young guys, the big difference between the contrast between 06 and 2010 was that in 06, we knew fairly quickly after a couple of bad losses that this may be Coach Bunning's you know, th- this may be his last go round. And we didn't think he'd be fired in um, in the, the latter half of the season like he was after the Clemson game. Um, we didn't think that was going to be the result, but it obviously ultimately ended up being the result. Uh, in 2010, we had no – nobody expected Butch Davis to be fired. Um, no one expected – and because and, and, we knew what we were doing. We knew – we understood what the NCAA was, was alleging. We understood what we were actually doing, the scope of uh, any wrongdoing that was done. And it was, it was minimal uh, compared to what was being alleged. And we knew that coach Davis didn't have the hand in it that people wanted to say that he did. So there was no expectation that he would be fired. We also knew that we were coached very well. We all felt prepared all the time. And we knew that team was stacked with talent. Even when we had all those guys get suspended and have to miss games and we ended up losing Greg Little, Marvin Austin, Robert Quinn permanently, their backups were more than capable. They were good players. You know, you think of Dante Page Moss had a breakout year. Quentin Copels ended up having a breakout year that year. Um, you know, so guys ended up filling the gaps and we were fine. And I think that helped morale a lot. That helped us continue to win games. And we knew, again, that we were coached very well. We had confidence in our preparation. Um, and we didn't think we were going to lose our head coach. The guys behind us, the freshmen, didn't think they were going to play for anyone except for Butch Davis and his staff. So there was really no panic that had set in um, or despair, really. Um, that was not the case in 2006. We had a very strong feeling um, almost at that point of a, a, a conclusion that we were going to have a different coaching staff going into the 2007 season, which obviously ended up being true. Um, and I think right now the players are dealing with something very similar. And that itself is cancerous. And no, the media does not help that. Having to answer questions about that all the time only makes it worse because it's the one thing you keep thinking about. And a lot of these guys are attached to these coaches. They're attached to Fedora. They're attached to the staff. They're attached to their position coaches. Um, when there is a coaching change, which uh, none of these guys have had to deal with, but I think is on the horizon, if not, if not this year, you know, at some point, Coach Fedora will not be the football coach here. That might be 10 years from now. I don't know what the university is going to do. But at some point, these guys will most likely have to deal with a coaching change. And with that comes a change, a, a complete overhaul in football personnel. We're talking player personnel, uh, the kitchen staff, the nutritional staff, the training staff might change. The strength coaches are going to change. It's a complete, usually a complete and total overhaul of the football center. That's uh, That's – that's difficult to deal with when it happens, but it's even more difficult to deal with when you're sitting there projecting on what could happen, who might get replaced. How is this going to happen? Is he going if coach Fedora is fired, he's going to be fired in the middle of the year. Is it going to be after the year? You know, why are we dragging our feet? And when you have to answer questions about it all the time from the media, which it's the media's right to ask the question. The fans need to know the play, you know, it, it, there, there's, there's no harm in asking the question, but it does have an effect uh, emotionally and mentally on the players because it's the only thing that they're, thinking about all the time. It's the only questions that they're answering uh, at, at some point, at least that's the way that it feels. Um, 
that's all anyone cares about is who's the staff going to be. Uh, how does that make you feel as a player? Well, it makes me feel like crap. And then I, at some point you feel like those are the only questions you're answering. Um, you're not talking about football anymore. And that ends up obviously affecting you mentally, which will affect your, your play on the field. And it sort of ends up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, um, I guess is the best way to describe it. So the seniors play a vital role in trying to insulate those younger guys. But this situation is more like 2006 than it is 2010. Um, and it's going to be a much harder job for the older guys to insulate those younger guys, to keep them focused, to keep them positive, uh, and to keep that um, that optimistic outlook for the future in their eyes because the seniors are obviously on the way out, but the younger guys are looking at this like, I might have a different staff next year, and I don't know what I'm going to do. So, you know, there, there's an emotional component to it. There's a mental component to it. But, you know, I, I think we need to be – this is much more analogous to 2006 than 2010, though I appreciate you you point because that was one that that should have been discussed mike when you know i I can't remember if it was you or i talked to one of those guys um when the guys like marvin austin came in and and just talking about recruiting in general uh, marvin and them didn't have the senior response to to sort of keep them in line maybe um, and I'm not just picking on Marvin Austin, just like in general, having senior leadership, how important is that? Uh, because we've seen, and, and we've talked about this and Greg certainly pointed it out in articles, for instance, the lack of discipline from two key senior players in both games that may have uh, made huge differences in both games this season, whether it was Carney's personal foul or Tyler Powell's inexplicable hit on the quarterback against East Carolina. How difficult is it to have quality senior or upper-class leadership when, as you spoke of, things are in disarray, uh, the thoughts of a, a new staff? or you know, how, how do you get there as a program? How tough is that for the players themselves to sort of build that or you know, police themselves when they don't know or even anybody doesn't know what might happen in the future given what the current climate is? Oh, kids are smart and they have a wealth of information at their fingertips that they didn't have, like say when I was you know, 2006, um, I didn't understand truly what a coaching, what a staff change was going to look like. Now I was a, I was a red shirt freshman um, or, or I guess I, I was a red shirted freshman. Um, and I knew I had four years of eligibility left. So my career hadn't even really started and I never, I knew I was going to be here for four years. So I figured the next staff is just, I'm going to treat them like they're who recruited me. And that's going to be my, that's going to be my deal. I'm not going to transfer. I mean, this is just a restart, um, on my career six months after I officially started my career. Um, it's different for guys that are like, that are juniors. Um, they're looking at this, uh, and they understand what a, what a coaching change entails because they see it on television covered all the time. They read articles, they see tweets, coaches getting fired is much more normal. It's much more commonplace now um, than it was. I'd say back in, you know, the mid 2000 era, I think coaches got a little longer tenure. They got a little more rope back then. Um, It seems that there was a transition around the mid two thousands where it was win at all costs, win now or get fired. Uh, and you saw co- you saw more coaching turnover nationally uh, at a much higher at a much higher frequency, a much higher rate than ever before. And that stuff now is being covered on various media outlets that all these players have, including you know Twitter, social media. So there's a 
tendency as a younger guy, knowing you're going to have a new staff coming in and you're going to be competing for a new staff, competing for your job all over again, even if you were a starter this year, um, this is assuming there's a new staff next year or two years from now, um, there's a tendency to get selfish and to be a little more focused on you. You know, I'm, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to put stuff on film that looks good. I'm going to make it, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go out here and get, get, get my stats. I'm going to get, I'm going to grade out as best I can. I'm going to do this for me. I'm not really doing this for anyone else because this is at this point, if I'm losing my staff, this is a lost season. Um, that is a very real mentality. It's and it's a, and it's a reality for a lot of players and the seniors, they kind of fall into that camp too. Uh, they're tied to this football program. A lot, a lot of players it's tied to the coach they have. I mean, you hear me talk about coach Bunning and coach Davis. Well, I do that because those are my ties to this program. I didn't play for coach Fedora though. Uh, I know him. I've spoke, I've had several conversations with him. He is always nice and approachable and has gone out of his way to make the alumni feel welcome. Um, that that's all well and good, but I'm not tied. He's not my connection to Carolina football, Butch Davis and John Bunning are. Um, so these guys know that when coach Fedora is out, the seniors, there's their tie to this program is somewhat severed or uh, I guess loosened. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not nearly as strong as it would be if coach Fedora were still here because the new staff is going to come in and make it in their image. And that's not the program that they played in. It's going to be something new and unfamiliar to them. Uh, and this new staff won't have any idea who these guys are. So the seniors are kind of out there, you know, g- getting their own too. Um, there's, there's also some frustration you see in that. Uh, things aren't going your way. I'm a senior. This is this is my last go round. Uh, I've had a bad game. The season look, looks like it's going to go bad. I'm just going to go ahead and tee off on somebody. And that's where you're seeing these personal fouls come from. Um, the issue with that is, and I'm, it's it's been addressed and it will always be addressed because it'll always be true. Um, that too has a trickle down effect on the guys behind them and the guys, you know, the younger guys and the guys that are behind them on the depth chart, behind them on the bench, uh, out there on the field with them. They see that, and it's unbecoming of seniors to make those kinds of mistakes and to behave, uh, to get those selfish penalties, those self-imposed selfish penalties like personal fouls. Um, But what it does is it signals to everybody else that there is a problem. There's a fracture in this system and in uh, in this program right now because if seniors are acting out like that and they're behaving selfishly, and they're not behaving seniorly, right, and leaderly, that that signals to everyone around them that we've got problems, and I better go ahead and get mine because I don't know what's going to happen next. That's a pack mentality. That's a very animalistic kind of thing, and it's it's absolutely true uh, for not just college football teams, but, I mean, every every athletic team at every level. I mean, you, you see senior, your seniors on your high school team start doing stupid stuff like that. You're not going to be very good. Um, and the reason you're not going to be very good is not sometimes not a talent deficiency. It's a discipline deficiency. And if the seniors aren't going to do what they're supposed to do, why am I, if I'm a younger guy? And I think a little bit of that has creeped in and hopefully having this week off now to reset, recharge and refocus will refocus a lot of people, but especially the seniors and they'll put a stop to that because it's on them. And if they don't, if they don't take control of their program and stop doing stuff like that, then it, it's going to be it's going to be a tough year. It's a great point there. It leads me to my next question, but I agree with you there. If you don't have player 
players that hold other players accountable, then it doesn't matter who the coach is. And I think that's what people, they expect the coaching staff to do something about these penalties, do something about this, do something that. It's all driven by the players, ultimately, I think. And well, it's driven a, by a culture, and it, yeah, it's driven, it's driven by players buying into a culture. And if the foundational yeah. culture wasn't there, it's not. They're not going. It's not going to be built in the next two weeks. Right. It's it's gone. It's a lost cause. Uh, the foundational culture is set from the day that staff walks in the door, and you see stuff like that, undisciplined things like that from seniors. That that is indicative of a bigger problem. It's not. It's much less a player problem, as a culture problem, and. I think it. I think it paints a, a bleak picture for what's going on. And I don't know that Fedora has lost that locker room, but I know that on te- bad teams that I've been on, where stuff like that's happening, it is a direct indication of a coach losing the locker room. And again, I don't know if that's happened here, and I'm not going to accuse Coach Fedora of that because I know the guys I play for him like him. So I, I don't. I don't know, but I know objectively, based on my experiences, that is typically. And indi- you know, personal fouls and stupid stuff by seniors is typically an indication that there's a culture problem and there's a locker room problem. Yeah, and that's what I mean. And th- he doesn't – they don't have the upperclassmen to police that stuff because the upperclassmen are the ones doing it. So, to, like you said, it's a bad situation. All right, boys, this is a good one. You want a simple, easy, better way to travel to UNC football and basketball games? Now's your chance. Hills Travels partnered with Inside Carolina to provide simple and easy travel for select UNC away games. Chuck Joyce, the president of Away to Go Travel, is a Greensboro native and a diehard Carolina fan, and he wanted to find an easier, better way, and more efficient way for Carolina fans to get to away games. So right now, HillsTravel.com is selling packages to get you to the Virginia game in Charlottesville on October 27th. This is a one-day bus trip from Chapel Hill. They pick you up, they take you to the stadium, and they bring you home. All you have to do is show up, cheer for the Tar Heels, and ride the bus. Leaves should be changing. Should be a great chance to check out a great town and be there for Carolina and Virginia, the oldest rivalry in the South. Make the process easy. Ride with other diehard UNC fans, and don't worry about parking or having to drive. It is a win-win situation. Visit HillsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060. There's no better way to spend a holiday than watching the Tar Heels play basketball. In the desert, no less. In Las Vegas, even better. Heels Travel is offering a package that includes round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip ground transportation from the airport to the hotel, and three nights at the Aria Resort and Casino in Vegas. No better time spent in Vegas to see the Tar Heels. Visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060. Support Chuck Joyce and Away to Go Travel and help them support the IC podcast. Greg, uh, Mike mentioned the reset. You and I talked about the reset off the air. Uh, How, you know, I, I said it earlier, I think the UCF game being canceled can really help this program get back on track. Um, You heard from Fedora this week speaking to that. I mean, is it possible and how important is it and how much does it help that Pittsburgh comes to Keenan Stadium in 10 days or so? And that's been the one team that Larry Fedora has had their number since he got to Chapel Hill. Yeah, well, I think I think the way you have to look at it is North Carolina playing Central Florida, that was likely to be a loss. 
I mean, I, I had it circled as a loss, that one in the Miami game. And there's a lot of other toss-up games. But, you know, Mackenzie Milton's uh, in the Heisman conversation for a reason. Uh, and, and the Knights were, I think, you know, 15-point favorite when the game was ultimately canceled. So not only do you, not only do you avoid, you know, a likely loss, but with the way the suspensions are working, because the games played go from 12 to 11, now those guys, the nine players that were scheduled to miss four games, now they only miss three games. So they essentially play the UCF game without actually having to play it. And so that's beneficial to you. Uh, I think that allows you to take some time uh, to kind of refocus your, your mind. You know, the players, they practice Tuesday, practice Wednesday, and then they're leaving town. You know, some will stay, of course, but a lot of guys are going home uh, to you know, withstand and endure the uh, the hurricane that's coming. And then they will reconvene on Sunday and, and get to work for Pitt. So you get a little bit of a break. You get to kind of get some distance from the 0-2 start. You get distance from the media. You get distance from all the students on campus. Uh, and I think that's a good thing for this this coaching staff. That's a good thing for these players. And so now you go into a pit game, and like you said, UNC's had a lot of success against the, the Panthers, uh, and it's not like Pitt is some great team. So it would not surprise me in the least to see UNC favored in this game. Uh, and if you can get a win there, then all of a sudden you get all these guys back for the Miami game. And even though you're, you're, you're going to be a, a heavy underdog down there, uh, if you can play well and you can be competitive with them, like this team was you know, last October, now maybe you have something to work with. Uh, and then you can start getting into some of these games where you have a chance to win. I mean, look at Duke. You know, what happened with Duke? Daniel Jones you know, has an issue with his clavicle. If he's got a broken clavicle, he's going to be out for a month or two months. Maybe you can take advantage of that. Georgia Tech just lost one of their best wide receiver or running backs for the year. So injuries happen. Unique things happen. Uh, it's not like there's a huge talent gap between North Carolina and a lot of these other teams in the ACC. So to, to write them off right now, I think, is is silly. Did they look bad against ECU? Yeah, of course they did. They look terrible. But that doesn't mean that they can't be competitive and win some of these games. And I think that's how the coaching staff has to approach it. And if they can convince the players of that uh, and take advantage of this home game against Pitt, win that game and maybe things start to change a little bit for you and you know, things start to snowball. Mike, how do you think the offensive line has played this year? And I know, and I ask you that simply because that's your position. We talked a lot about it in the preseason, uh, but Carolina has not been very successful on the line again against uh, ECU. But I think maybe when everybody wants to blame somebody, they either blame the quarterback or the line. Your thoughts on what you saw against East Carolina um, and maybe what you've seen from, from players specifically. I know that the center position was sort of a um, a different take in the East Carolina game, obviously, but your thoughts there. Yeah, well, I mean, I can, I, I can, I can speak in generalities. Um, what I'll do is I'll, I see improvement, I guess. Um, the point I'm making is that I, I see improvement from the Cal game, which I thought was actually better than, than people thought it was. And I think they played a bit, I think they played better against ECU than 
then people want to give him credit. I mean, you make a good point that when things go wrong on offense, they blame the offensive line or the quarterback. And it's, you know, it, it's usually the offensive line first. And if the quarterback gets blamed, then it ends up circling back around to, well, that was probably the offensive line's fault too. So it, it usually ends up being uh, failure is usually our fault and success is usually somebody else's. And that's just kind of the, the nature of the position. Um, so I understand why the offensive line has drawn the ire of fans and, um, you know, certain certain media outlets recently, but I don't think it's necessarily warranted. So, you know, some things that I noticed against Cal that they were struggling with in terms of second level assignments, I saw the same thing against ECU, uh, but I saw it to a lesser degree. Um, I saw the edges being shortened by the tackles um, against Cal. I saw that happening to a lesser degree. Um, so what I'm talking about is, you know, our, our tackles dropping their outside hip and shortening the edge, creating a creating a, a, a shorter path to the quarterback for edge rushers. Um, that Their technique on the outside was much better. They kept their hips and their shoulders square to the line of scrimmage a lot better, um, which kept which, which created a better pocket. I mean, Elliott had time uh, for most of the game. He, he had time against ECU. It's not like they were dealing with some man Mountain Dean defensive front there. Um, you know, ECU's defensive line is not that good. And our offensive line played played well. I don't think they played down to their competition uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the center position obviously is is uh, is up for grabs, but, you know, shout out to Carolina being walk-on you. You know, we got a, 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 a former walk-on is starting at center against ECU, and and he played well for the for the bulk of the game. He had, you know, the obviously, obviously the, the bad snap there towards the end, but that, I mean, there weren't a whole lot of mistakes made across the front, him included. Um, second level assignments are going to continue to be an issue for us. And, 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 you know, I'm not going to address any players specifically because I just, I, number one, I don't really like doing that. Um, but number two, I think it's a, I think, I think the same comments can be made for everybody across the board. Um, everybody is all five linemen really six or seven that we're playing right now. are all kind of struggling with the same things. And that is their hips are getting too high in pass protection, meaning they're getting up on their toes, their hit, their feet are stopping and they're not able to redirect. And they're, they're hesitating on the second level when they get to linebackers coming out of double teams or the backside uh, of zones. Um, they are, they're hesitating on their second level assignments, which is giving the obviously more athletic linebackers or whatever second nickels, whatever second level player they're getting to. Uh, it's giving them a little bit of, you know, a little bit of air between uh, between the offensive line getting to the second level and the contact being made that little bit of air that they're leaving them through that half a second, uh, hesitation, that little bit of air is allowing that second level defensive player to get some wiggle and make some plays that they shouldn't be playing, or at least disrupt plays um, that shouldn't be getting disrupted. So, you know, those, those are the, the, the main criticisms I have is uh, hips are high uh, in the pass game. Hips are getting high in the run game too, which is a sign of the same exact thing being up on your toes um, and your feet stopping. But um, second level hesitation is, is going to continue to to create issues for us if we don't correct it, uh, because so many of our uh, run blocking schemes are uh, dependent upon getting backside linebackers and frontside middle linebackers down. Um, so backside linebackers down and outside zone schemes and frontside middle linebackers on uh, double teams, uh, especially in, in gap scheme uh, gap scheme plays. So you know that's if we can see some improvement between now and Pittsburgh in that i think the offensive line will finally start getting the credit that they're owed because i think they've actually been a bright spot uh throughout all the negative that we've seen so far this season
Greg, I want to ask you one more question, but let's, let's take our last break of the show. We'll be right back. Greg, last question for the podcast. Uh, if they're not talking about Larry Fedora's job status, they're talking about the quarterback position again. And wanted to get your thoughts there. Fortin didn't get much time. And I know what Buck always says about me and the backup quarterback, but I thought he looked pretty good in his time. Uh, your thoughts on how much that'll be discussed here in the next 10 days heading into Pittsburgh? Well, it certainly will be discussed a lot. And a couple things. Number one, did he look good? Sure. He's, he's got a good arm. He's got decent speed, has a 17-yard run. Uh, his first pass was, was a dart down the field. So he's got the skill set. What nobody got to see, and this is this is where fans kind of struggle with things, is we have no idea how simple a package he had. And I'm, I'm, I'm certain that it was incredibly simple, uh, but there's a lot of decision-making that has to take place. And uh, a lot of people you know, have, have criticized the fact that Nathan Elliott apparently won the job in, in the spring, uh, which is what the, the word around the program was back in the spring. But the reason that we were told he won that job is because of the decision-making process. Uh, and so if it's difficult for guys that have been in the, the program for a couple of years, like a Chaz Surratt, uh, then I think that kind of speaks volumes about how difficult it is for, for younger guys, especially true freshmen. So to expect him to step in and maybe take the job away from Nathan is, is asking a lot. Now, having said that, I think the UCF cancellation plays a role here. Because I think if the UCF game is played and Chas Rad is on the bench or sideline due to suspension for two more games, you may be more inclined to want to play Kate Fortin just to get him more reps to see if, hey, maybe this guy can pick it up quicker than we thought. Maybe you put him in a game situation and he's one of those kids that just kind of takes off. Uh, but now we're talking about because the way the suspensions work. Surratt's really only going to miss one more game, which is the pit game. Maybe you just try to suck it up and, and tough it out with Nathan until you get ready to decide if, if Chaz is going to be the guy or not. Uh, and so I think that's going to be something interesting to watch is you know, how much does that, that extra game uh, for, for Chaz affect what they wanted to do with Fortin? I don't know we're ever going to get that answer but i do think it's, it's an interesting dynamic in the sense that you know, maybe fortin would have had a better chance of getting playing time if he had your know, two games as a backup instead of what appears to be just one a great point there i did not think of it that way and that's why greg barnes best in the business at it mike greg appreciate y'all getting together on tuesday night this podcast will be up certainly on insidecarolina.com on wednesday we will not be doing a show Thursday, uh, no game, no availability, and Florence. So that'll keep us from doing that, but we'll certainly get back together as soon as possible. Mike, Greg, appreciate it. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.